You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wow, oh wow, welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East, I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and we have got to break down a Wild Pacers-Nets game. Kyrie Irving plays his first game of the season. Lance Stevenson plays in front of the home Pacers crowd for the first time since 2018. DeMontis Sabonis has a 30-point triple-double. The Pacers lose, and their schedule is about to get ridiculous. It was a crazy and uh, intersectionally bad night for the Pacers, given what's coming up for them on the schedule. So, honestly, a lot of fans have started to, to drop gifts of a certain wartime vehicle that is often used to describe a team losing a lot in the NBA. And so a lot of fans had a lot of fun with this game because there were some awesome performances and the Pacers still lost, but they've lost six in a row now in a little bit of a demoralizing place. And there's a lot to get to from this game. And I will talk a lot about Lance who had a record setting quarter to start this game in front of the home crowd. I want to talk about the game first. I talked a lot about Lance earlier this week already. And it was, a, it was the reason I want to talk about the game first is because I think Sabonis deserves the lead for this. I think this team's performance deserves somewhat of a lead outside of their fourth quarter. So final score, Pacers lose to the Nets 129-121. That does not tell the story of the game very well to me. An eight-point loss is not really reflective. Pacers up five after one, up 13 at halftime, up 19 early in the third. And then they lose by eight because they have a miserable 20-point fourth quarter where the Nets score 35. The Nets scored 69 points in the second half on their way to this win. And for as good as the Pacers played for much of the game, their fourth quarter, even only scoring 20 could have been enough, but they couldn't stop anybody. Durant was ridiculous. Kevin Durant, 15 made shots, 39 points. James Harden had 18 points on an off night for him. Kyrie Irving in his first game of the season had 22. That is 79 points for those three guys. I mean, that, that I talked about this on yesterday's show. Like the Pacers, even though they played well in this game, they got a lot from their replacement guys. Sabonis played well. Lance Stevenson played awesome. They still got decent performances from like Kiefer Sykes and Miles played great defense. We'll talk about Miles a little bit too. And it did not matter because those three were so good. The Pacers could not stop them at all. The, the Nets shot 23% from deep, only took 21 threes and still won because they shot absurdly well on two pointers. 44 for 66 on twos for the Nets in this game. That's over 66%. So the Pacers defense was just not good enough. That's really the story of why they lost this game because individually, a lot of pretty solid performances. I mean, obviously Sabonis was unbelievable. He had 32 points on 14 shots. He got to line 13 times. Honestly, could have been more. He was getting doubled and slammed down the stretch of this game. 12 rebounds, 10 assists. He was tremendous. He was the driver of the Pacers offense for the whole game. He was doing a great job dictating everybody, telling them when to cut and stuff like that. He was Phenomenal. Kiefer Sykes, 18 points again. He's averaging 20 over his last two, five assists, only one turnover. They could have used him all season. Their record would be probably two or three wins better if they had him instead of Brad Wanamaker for the entirety of the season. And Lance, I can't believe I'm getting to him third, but I'm just going downwards in the box score. 30 points, 20 of them in the first quarter. Didn't miss a shot for quite a long stretch of this game. I'll talk about Lance in depth in the next segment because it was quite the night in Cambridge Fieldhouse. Five assists, three rebounds for Lance. 30 points. His highest ever in a Pacers uniform comes in his first game with the team in almost four years. Those three guys in particular are really good. Turner's defense was exceptional despite him not having a box score night. 
And I was surprised. Turner didn't play the last seven minutes of this game as the Nets just continued to score and score. He came, The Nets were scoring and scoring at the beginning of the fourth with Miles in, but he came out and the floodgates just opened. I mean, they were driving so much. Like I said, they shot 66% on twos, 60 points in the paint despite not having a ton of offensive rebounds. Brooklyn only had nine. I mean, it's a good amount, but not a lot. You know, Miles was sorely missed down the stretch, and I get why the Pacers went with the lineup they did. They needed to spread the Nets out, and the Nets were tiny. They could play through Sabonis, but... It did not work. I was surprised not to see Turner out there. He had a pretty good defensive game. This one kind of is strange. O'Shea Brissett had a fine enough game, eight points and eight rebounds. Justin Anderson barely played. They basically played a seven-man rotation, the Pacers did, with so many plays and guys out. Justin Holiday, another terrible game, two in a row for him. Minus 17, no other Pacer was worse than minus 11. Uh, two for 10 from the field, one of nine from deep. Missed some absolutely wide-open threes. He was miserable against the Knicks last night. I mean, they might have won both of the New York back-to-back if Justin Holiday was even decent in those games. It was crazy how unhelpful he was at times in the fourth. But they didn't have Torrey Craig, who's nursing a groin injury. So they were shorter on the rotation. They couldn't sub him out as much. But he still played over 26 minutes despite not having that great of a night. And, you know, combine that with Dwayne Washington, who's still showing some interesting ball skills. But... Did not have it going. Scoring tonight, 3 of 13 from the field. That's two of your starters for the Pacers who go 5 for 23. That's 18 possessions that end with a miss from guys who are having off nights. That's really hard to overcome, especially when you're only playing a seven-man rotation on a back-to-back against the Nets with their three stars. They completely ran out of gas. Carlisle mentioned that after the game. He was like, I thought we were playing pretty good. And then, you know, kind of late third, mid-third, you could kind of see the fatigue sort of set into our team and the way we were playing and stuff like that. And I agree with him. They just... They fell apart. So the second unit D was rough without Craig. I think that he was actually missed in a way that I didn't expect. But, you know, Lance was a lot of the game. I mean, my notes, I tweeted out my notes after the first quarter. Lance checks in, and I'll talk more about him. But my last Lance note is four for four with nine points, LOL. And then my next one is just ha, ha, ha in all caps. I mean, he just was insane to start the game. Sabonis was the best pacer in the first half. And then Kyrie started getting going, and the Nets couldn't stop him, and then – Here's another note I had that ended up being very smart for this game. The Nets were getting a ton of open threes the whole game, and they only made 5 of 21, but they were getting so many open looks from the corners that they finally made one with Bembry in the fourth that got them the lead, and then the Pacers started kind of overcorrecting and stopping those, and that let the Nets really drive and get some more easy buckets, and you know the Pacers conceded their lead on a corner three after all that, which was funny. Um, but Justin Holiday, I think, you know, Maybe this merits a segment on next week because I already have the rest of this week a podcast pan, planned out. But two straight games where if he's even just okay, not even good, like not even these Justin Holiday heater games we've seen a few times this season where he's you know five for seven, six for eight from deep, and they have no chance of losing when that happens. Like he was six for ten against the Cavs, and then he was one for seven against the Knicks, all on three pointers, and one for nine from deep, two for ten from the field in this game. So that means in his last two games, he is two for 16 from three. And the Pacers have lost those games by a combined like 15, 16 points. I can't do math off the top of my head. I mean, if they just, if he's five for 16, that's nine more points. Like they, they could, that's still not even that good. He's been really miserable recently. This season has not been great for him. That merits more discussion, I think, later. But Sabonis was amazing. Miles not playing down the stretch, I get, because. Sabonis was in there. I would have tried to do both if I was Rick Carlisle, though I get why he went with the lineups that he did to try to break down the next defense, the Nets defense. And if you make me choose a center, I think you have to play Sabonis down the stretch because of how good he was. I mean, a 32-point triple-double, I can't believe I've waited this long to really opine about how good his performance was in this game. 
32 points in general is good. 32 points on 14 shots is absolutely excellent. I mean, the Nets are small, and Nick Claxton, when he's their center, is, you know, he's he's a good defender, but he's a little weaker. And it's one of those things I always talk about on the show where sometimes these younger centers who grow up, they never defend post-up players. They never defend someone bigger than them who has post moves. And Sabonis can just eat him up under the basket. He did that a lot. In this game, LaMarcus Aldridge doesn't have the foot speed to defend him. Blake Griffin doesn't either, right? So Sabonis just dominated those guys. Easy buckets. He was hitting cutters. That's how he got to 10 assists. He was even telling guys in the fourth when he was getting double more, please cut. He got doubled on a few possessions where no one cut for the Pacers. He could have had more than 10 assists easily if their cutting was a little crisper in this game. Five turnovers and four fouls will mar this from being like a a flawless performance, but it was pretty damn close. I mean, he was fantastic on the glass. 12. He had over a third of the Pacers' rebounds. He nearly had 40% of their assists. 32 points speaks for itself. Sabonis was awesome. He's the reason they were in the game for most of the game. And 30-point triple-doubles are rarely overshadowed. And it was like the third storyline from this game. That's how crazy this night was. But impressive night from Sabonis. He deserved a ton of flowers for what he did. He also said after the game that he wishes the Pacers could have gotten this win for Lance Stevenson. And that is my intentional segue into the night that was at Gamebridge for Lance Stevenson. And despite my thoughts about him in the past and him as a person, fan favorite, and he was awesome in this game, and he made a lot of people happy and played very well. And I want to talk about the atmosphere and his performance in this game. But first, I want to talk about the good folks over at Shopify because Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform that can help you start, run, and grow your business. They give entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online, and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out selling all sorts of smaller things, but now we're talking about Shopify, and we're not stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path, and Shopify can power millions of businesses from first sale to full scale, reaching customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations on apps like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. You can gain insights as you grow. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. It's possibility. Powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial to get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA right now. Shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thank you for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and hopefully every day as I provide content about this team that is not playing very well, but it still had some very fun performances this last week despite the losses. And this was another one. This was the loudest Gamebridge has been. I think the third loudest it's been all season, maybe fourth. But the loudest it's been during the first quarter for sure was when Lance Stevenson checked into this game. Let's go Lance chance. Born ready chance. MVP chance. MVP was a stretch, obviously, but... This, this city just loves this guy, and Lance loves this place. I watched him warm up. He had all five of the first corner threes he took when I was filming him. I mean, he, he makes a bunch of shots. He said on the, on the podium after the game he couldn't sleep the night before because he was so excited about playing again back with the Pacers uniform. And like I talked about yesterday when previewing this Nets game, it doesn't make sense, but it, something just clicks for him when he plays for this franchise at home specifically. His splits Playing in Gamebridge versus not is like the, one of the weirdest, funniest things ever. Doug McDermott had the opposite effect for so long. Lance has the at-home effect, and fans love this guy for a reason. And 
the chants were warranted and it was very loud and they loved him. And he came up the floor on his first possession. And he said, you know, he heard the chants and people roaring his name. He knew he had to shoot on his first possession. He drilled a three, just drilled a perfect pull up three. And I wrote a piece forever ago for 8.9 seconds about Lance Stevenson shooting percentages in games where he makes his first shot versus misses his first shot. And it is crazy how much better this dude is when he's confident after that first make. And that just carried on. He made his first four. He was five of six, I think, at the end of the first quarter. That's not right. He made more shots than that. But he had 20 points at the end of the first quarter. It was unbelievable. He made a buzzer beater. He did the air guitar. His defense was solid. Like, it was ridiculous how good he was in the first quarter. That 20 points off the bench in the first quarter is an NBA record, I believe. It might be a Pacers record, but I believe an NBA record. Definitely a Pacers record. He just was unstoppable in that first frame. Completely carried the Pacers. I literally just put ha ha ha, like I said earlier, in my notes when he made that last three because it was just insane. I mean, I've never really seen a guy who he was fine in the first two games, I suppose, for the Pacers. Like, good first half in Cleveland, but nothing really in the second half was okay, I guess, against the Knicks, if you want to look at it that way. He had five points and two assists and two turnovers. Like, he was not that good in either of the first two games, but outside of a good first half of Cleveland. And tonight was why fans love him, because he can have bursts like that and moments like that that just totally grip fans and there were chance for him to come back in in the fourth. His for the rest of the game, he was just kind of there. You know, he had ten points the rest of the way, and he all five of his assists were after the first quarter. Also, all three of his turnovers and all three of his fouls were after the first quarter. But the first quarter was so good, it doesn't matter. He was amazing in this game, despite just like being there for the last three quarters. Basically, his effect was already on the game. He already was changing the way the Nets had to defend. That's why he got the five assists, right? Because they were a little more focused on him. The skip passes to the corner were there. He had a few of those. The hits of the roller were there, right? So it was just a special night for him specifically because he loves playing in Indiana. He loves the fans here, and he had a nice game. He said he was psyched to be back. You know, obviously, he's got that chemistry with with Sabonis and Miles from the first time they were there, which he talked about uh, after the game on the podium, which it was fun to hear him talk about that kind of stuff. So I'm happy for fans who've wanted to watch him play for a while and to see him do that in his first moments back with the team. It, it, it literally felt fake, like, while wow, it was happening for me. I could see the game. But I, I couldn't like – it's weird. It's one of those things that you just like – I can't believe this is happening. Like I would put that up close with um, when Vic returned in 2020, pre-pandemic 2020, which apparently was a real thing. When he returned against the Bulls and didn't play very well the whole game but then hit the three at the buzzer to send the game to overtime and they won. It's like you know Vic had been this clutch icon for this franchise that they'd been missing for a year basically. And he comes back and the roar of the crowd and he – you know, has the picturesque moment that you're just like, wow, you know, I can't believe that happened. That's kind of how the first quarter felt tonight. Fans roaring and, and loving his play. And so if he can play more quarters like that, they then he might, he's got to be on the team the rest of the year, basically. Uh, but if he has more games like the Knicks game, it's TBD. And the reason I'm using that segue is because I also in this segment want to talk about, I've gotten this question a lot. Can they keep him? Can the Pacers get Lance on the team for the rest of the season? And the answer is, Maybe it's it's weird. You know, I think Lance would have liked to have this happen much earlier, like like mid-December when a lot of other teams are going through COVID stuff on the Pacers. I mean, specifically because, you know, before cutting Wanamaker or right when they signed Sykes, it would have been really easy to just cut bait with the last point guard on the Pacers. And then they have an open roster spot. But now the trouble is his 10 day ends on the 10th. And that just happens to be the cut down deadline for guaranteed contracts. And the Pacers, who are sniffing the luxury tax line, they could cut a fully guaranteed deal later in the season, but they don't want to do that. They need the flexibility, especially for a team that might be 
a rebuilding team. So that, that's a lot of background to say. Can the Pacers keep Lance? Yeah, it's possible. And I think we'll find out by the end of Friday because on Friday, that's when guys on non-guaranteed deals have to get waived uh, if teams want to clear the rest of their money from the books. And if the Pacers do that, it would kind of telegraph that they're going to open a roster spot. And Kiefer Sykes, O'Shea Brissett, and Keelan Martin are all on non-guaranteed deals. And so any of them could get cut. Really, anyone could get cut. They could cut any player on the team, even guys with guaranteed deals. They won't cut someone with guaranteed money, most likely. It would be more than likely one of those three guys. But to get Lance on the team, because he's on a hardship 10-day right now, right? And so once the hardships expire, once all these guys return from COVID, that they, they won't have a way of signing him without waiving somebody. So how the Pacers can keep Lance is they just have to cut someone. And it, it would have felt obvious not too too long ago to just say, yeah, cut Kiefer Sykes. But Sykes has been awesome. He's averaging 20 points per game in his last two. He's totally controlled the game. Rick Carlisle loves the dude and is singing his praises on the stand. And Brogdon always misses time. McConnell's going to be out for two more months. They need a point guard. Lance can be a point guard, sure. But he also played with Sykes a lot in this game. It's not that easy. Keelan Martin would be, you know, O'Shea Brissett's not getting cut. So I really, really, really doubt they would cut Keelan Martin. And maybe they try to swing a quick trade or something in the next 10 days or so. Because the other thing here is like, I'm just going to pick Jeremy Lamb because he was in trade rumors this last offseason. I'm not advocating for anything, but another option could be like, let's say they can find a quick way to trade Jeremy Lamb for very little salary or no salary or non-guaranteed salary in exchange, something like that. So they can free a roster spot by trading Lamb for nothing back. Then they have a roster spot they could sign him to. But the other advantage of doing that soon is, Starting yesterday, the 5th, teams can sign guys to real 10 days. So what the Pacers could do is wait a little bit, make that trade like let's just say January 15th when the league can – everybody can be traded. They could trade Lance – or excuse me, trade whoever then, and then they could sign Lance to two 10 days, get right up to the trade deadline, make their move, see what their team is, and then they could sign Lance to a rest of the season deal or pivot around, whatever. And I think those 10 days being available is going to be potentially what you'll see with this Pacers team because – you know, I I don't know that you know maybe maybe they just cut Sykes and sign Lance. I don't I don't think they're going to do that, but that's not impossible to me. There there are avenues for them to do it pretty easily right now, but none of them are like what the Pacers would would like to do. I think what they would like to do is tell Lance if you would like to be on the Pacers the rest of the season, please wait a couple of days, a week, ten days, whatever, and we can find a trade or something to free up the spot for you, and then do the ten day dance. Because that would be more favorable to the Pacers and not make them cut someone that they think might be a part of their team for the rest of the season or the future. I think that's what the Pacers would like to do. Obviously, what Lance would like to do is be in the NBA and make money. That's why he, you know, he loves being in the NBA. He talked about that on the podium after the game. And he loves playing for the Pacers, obviously, a lot. I think he prefers the Pacers to other franchises. And that's why maybe they do have to rush it. Let's say he gets an offer from another team or even a 10-day offer once his, with the Pacers expires. He could take it, right? So I, I don't know what the Pacers do or if him playing this well makes them decide to cut someone and they wouldn't have if he didn't play this well i don't know but what options do they have they could cut one of those three guys in the next basically if you're listening to this on the seventh or the sixth basically in the next day i mean it has to be by the end of the seventh basically and if they don't do that i would expect that if they want to get lance back on the roster and this this season even though people who've listened to the show for a long time know that i'm not the biggest fan of lance stevenson's game when it, when he plays like he did tonight, it doesn't matter. But uh, even if you know me and not the biggest fan of his game, I think this is the season where you have him. When you're already bad and you need something to light the fire for your fans, this is the season to have him. 
you know, it's not crazy to me that once his hardship 10-day expires, and a lot of teams won't have those hardships available anymore at that point, that they just say, just give us a little bit of time to free up a roster spot, and then you can have your 10-day, you can come back. I think that seems like the most logical outcome, but that is a lot of, like, handshake promises that, you know, you're keeping a guy in limbo, and that's not always desirable if you're a player in the league, but that seems like the most win-win for both parties if they want to keep their marriage going and not do something they don't want to have to do, but... If Lance has other offers he's willing to take, the Patriots might have to make an uncomfortable decision about cutting someone if they want to keep him. That's the long and short of it. That's the pros and cons. That's way too much detail. But he still has until the 10th on this team on his hardship deal for sure. And then after that, it's going to be up to the Patriots to figure out how they want to handle things. I'll obviously keep track of all that going forward. Let's talk about the Pacers' schedule. I can't even believe I'm 21 minutes into the show and I haven't told you what the third segment's going to be about because... The Pacers just missed an opportunity that very few people, I think, are talking about. And they have a crazy non-opportunity coming up that could define their season. So let's talk about the Pacers' upcoming schedule, and you'll see why when you stick around. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at BetOnline.ag who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as they continue their march to the playoffs in the NFL and beyond. They remain your number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022 New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on, all one word, to get started at betonline.ag. Football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, your favorite casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. And if you have been making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day, you'll remember a few weeks ago, Taylor Tannenbaum from WTHR came on the show, and we talked about the key Pacers stretch coming up. And this was you know, right after the Pacers played Detroit. They beat Detroit. And then their, their next six games were Miami, who was ravaged by injuries and COVID at the time, Houston, who stinks, Chicago, who same thing, injuries and COVID, Charlotte, injuries, Chicago again, and then Cleveland, and New York. That stretch was against Cleveland without Garland, by the way, and Sexton, right? They're also ravaged by injuries. That stretch was like, the Pacers went into that, I think, 13 and 18 or 14 and 19 or something. That was the time where they could save their season if they wanted to be competitive. If they took advantage of that stretch and did well, we could have looked back and said that was the turning point. That's where they, they figured it out. They got to 19 and 21 and then were able to do their retooling and and you know got to whatever seed they wanted to be. Instead, the Pacers just went one and seven in that stretch, uh, one and five in that stretch, excuse me, and then a sixth loss against Brooklyn tonight, who is a tough opponent. That's not a part of that stretch. And COVID obviously knocked out a bunch of their key players and made it m- way more difficult. It's not shocking that they lost a single game that they lost, but they were winnable games. They lost a few of them in close margins, and that that might be it. Like that seems somber to say, but you know, a lot of people have already checked out on this, but the Pacers had playoff aspirations this year. They're currently 14 and 25. That's close to unsalvageable. The halfway points in two games. Here is the Pacers upcoming schedule and why not taking advantage of that stretch really matters. Let's say they're 19 and 21 right now. Even if they stumble for their next six games, they're still in an okay enough spot to push for what they want to do right now. They're 14 and 25. They've lost six games in a row. And here's their upcoming schedule. Utah, Boston, Boston again, Phoenix, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Suns again, New Orleans, Charlotte. 
That is their next is that ten. Uh, yeah, that is their next ten games. They've already lost to Charlotte a bunch, and that's like their easiest game. New Orleans is the only team they beat in that group. Like they beat Utah, I suppose. It's not possible they lose like fifteen games in a row. It's not impossible that that happens. I don't think they will. Teams as good as the Pacers don't lose fifteen games in a row, although they've lost six in a row. But it's not crazy that they just get walloped on this upcoming Western Conference road trip, and <laughs> then the trade deadline's coming. And if, if they go one and five, if they go one and five against Utah, Boston, Boston, Phoenix, LA, LA, is that that crazy that they go one and five in that stretch? Like if they do that, they're fifteen and thirty. They're fifteen games under five hundred. No team in that spot is not a seller, right? So they they blew any chance they had of really being competitive this year in the last couple weeks. To me, maybe I'm putting too much on one stretch, but their upcoming schedule is so difficult that it almost has defined their season to the point that it's at. They're not even halfway through the season, so perhaps that's a bit of an overreaction. But they're 14 and 25, like that. That's really hard to overcome. Going 25 and 14 to to flip that in their next 39 games, right, would require a 64 percent win percentage right and that is the equivalent of winning 53 games in a full season the Pacers have not been that good since Paul George left like that would be the level they'd have to play at for their next 39 games to get to 500 (laughs) that would not even make them good that would make them 500 500 in the east right now is uh the 10 seed 500 is a 10 seed if they play like a 53 win team for the next 39 games they can get to the 10 seed that is what the Pacers are staring at with an unbelievable stretch of schedule coming up. They shot themselves in the foot by not taking advantage of the span they had, and now they have to deal with the consequences of it. They'll get guys back, but I think that they have they have their fate this season has been determined. Given a and, and a lot of people have gotten there already, and I've said on the show like I don't expect them to be basically anybody in any game right now, but they they. It's tough. It is a really tough schedule, and we'll see how they manage and what what they can come out of that at. But and I don't see it's possible, I suppose. But I don't see them doing well enough the rest of this month that anything changes. And given how this, the rumors about this team and guys and wanting different roles and things like that, it seems like this stretch sealed the deal that there will be some sort of changes, like like somewhat big for this franchise in the next month because the trade deadline, I believe, is one month from today. Uh, I, I've had in my head that it's uh, February 10th for so long, but that could be incorrect. But, um, oh, yeah, it's February 10th, so it's not a month from today. I thought it was the 6th. But anyway, m- changes had to be coming. They they blew the easy parts, of, the easy-ish parts of their schedule. They could have taken advantage of, of a somewhat easier uh, December. They couldn't do it. They stumbled against some easier teams in November and now. After having COVID hit at the worst time and another soft part of their schedule, that's it. They're, the Pacers this season, their playoff aspirations are basically done, and they think they need to operate the rest of the season in that manner in the choices that they make. We'll see what they actually decide to do. Of course, we'll cover it all on this podcast, including moves they might make tomorrow. Uh, but for Friday's show, I believe, unless there are cuts or signings before that, uh, Shane Young is going to join us from Forbes Sports as well. Uh, to talk Eastern Conference All-Star, to the Pacers have a shot of getting anyone in? I would say in the 13th it's low, but I want to discuss it because the East All-Star pool is not that awesome this year, and All-Stars are fun to talk about. And it's pretty likely Chris Duarte is going to be at All-Star Weekend anyway in the uh, rookie-sophomore game. So still something fun to cover, but I want to talk about the Eastern Conference All-Star picture in general. And then next Monday we'll talk roster cuts, what the Pacers can do, probably Lance stuff because that'll be 
the last day of his 10-day deal and all that sort of stuff. So lots of fun stuff coming on Lockdown Pacers. Hope you guys are having a great week and are enjoying watching basketball games. We'll, of course, be back tomorrow, like I said, to talk All-Stars with Shane Young. Hope you all had a great day, and we will see you then.